Agents Podcast. This episode of the Lab Goat Agents Podcast is brought to you by RedX, the complete real estate prospecting solution. RedX offers high quality lead data on expireds, for sale by owners, vacant rental property owners, pre foreclosures, and geo leads, the number one data source for neighborhood prospecting. You can also filter, organize, and call your leads inside Vortex, the all in one lead management platform free with any lead subscription. With RedX, you get more than just phone numbers. You get all the tools you need to connect with more homeowners who are actively looking to sell. RedX is offering our listeners $150 off. Just go to redx.bz forward slash LCA. That's R-E-D-X dot B-Z forward slash LCA to sign up for RedX today. How many of you, if I used the words successfully unemployed, would stop and listen and think to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, successfully unemployed. Does that mean retired? Does that mean filthy rich? Does that mean you've created so much passive income you don't have to do anything but go play golf? Because if you can see, if you're watching this right now, you see that I came from a golf course successfully unemployed. That's what we're going to talk about today, except we're going to twist it. And we're going to talk about how you, the real estate agent, has the ability to be successfully employed and create massive passive income with the front row seat that you have that you already have in your industry. Today, we have the guest on. He is the founder of Master Passive Income and successfully unemployed, of course. I'm guessing he's successfully unemployed. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Dustin Heiner to the show. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate you having me on. I, I love the the idea that I literally can do whatever I want whenever I want because of being successfully unemployed. I literally, like, people stop, they look at my shirt and they say, what is like, oh, you're unemployed and you're happy about that? I'm like, yeah, because I have the ability to provide for my family with other ways like real estate. So yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I love it, man. I love it. And I think, you know, the, here's the thing. And, and you and I talked about this off air, you know, real estate agents, most of them get into the industry because of the, A, the barrier to entry, the, 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 the shininess of, Ooh, I can work whenever I want and however I want. Right. And, and as a result of that, most of them are poverty, Right. And, <laughs> and, and, and so few actually take advantage of the opportunity oh, yeah. that is right in front of them. So a, you can sell real estate, and then B, you have, like I said, a front row seat. You, you, have, you have access to properties to do more with it than just be the listing or buyer's agent. And, and you have figured out a way to do this very successfully. We've had many guests that are just like you. So I'm very curious. I'm going to ask you this question first that I want you to answer later. I really am curious, Dustin, what is going to make, what, why are you different? Why is what you do different? Why is what you teach work maybe better than probably all of the other quote unquote experts out there? But before we get to that general question, uh, let's tell our, our audience about who the hell you are and how you kind of got to where you are today. Yeah. So I love that question. So I'm super excited to answer that. I already have, it's already geared, geared up. So I'm jumping right into it. But so yeah, my name is Dustin Heiner. I started Master Passive Income after I became successfully unemployed. I quit my job when I was 37 years old because I had enough rental properties, cash flow, 30 plus properties coming in. I was like, man, even though I'm making $75,000 a year at this job, my goodness, I don't want to work here anymore. And I quit because I realized 
I can make more money if I was working for myself. So Jeff, I got to tell you a quick story about how I got over that hurdle and said, okay, I'm not going to work for somebody else anymore and become successful employed and be an investor. So but I had been working at the county of Fresno. I work just technology job, you know, sit behind a desk, working year after year, you know, trying to create a career there. And I've been working there for quite a bit, but I've also been entrepreneurial. So I had a couple side jobs, some you know, businesses that I was doing, um, graphic and website design company, skateboard manufacturing business, convenience store, pizzeria. I even had, when I was 13 years old, a newspaper delivery business that I would just you know throw the, from my bike, throw the papers and hit the bank people's garage doors. So I've always been entrepreneurial. And so I've always been trying to figure out a way to not work for, my, for somebody else. And at the same time, I bought one property and I was like, man, I'm making money without working. This is great. But at the same time, I'm still working my nine to five and I call it a J-O-B. It's a job, but it's an acronym for just over broke. And I'll get into a reason why it's just over broke. I think you guys already know, but I'll get into it just a second. Now, quick story is after my wife had our fourth child, so I was working in the county, got married, kid after kid after kid. We had our fourth child and I went on paternity leave when my wife had our fourth child. Paternity leave is where the dad stays home with the mom, you know, changes diapers, bonds with the baby, helps mommy and all that sort of stuff. And I get back from paternity leave. And that same week on a Friday at 3.30 in the afternoon, I get a call from my boss's, boss's, boss's secretary, like the top dog. His secretary calls me up and says, Dustin, would you please come to the office? And I said, sure. And I hung up the phone. And then I paused for a second. And I thought why would they be calling me to the office? Like, this isn't normal. This is weird. And then thinking more, I thought before I went opportunity leave, there was about two or three months before there had been some rumors or some rumblings going on that there's potentially the department's running out of money or running low on funds and revenue. And so there might be layoffs. And I immediately shook that off. Like, no, I've been here for 12, 13 plus years, lots of seniority. There's no way. Then this is the government. Nobody gets fired or laid off from the government. So I get up, shaking that off, and I start walking down the hallway to my boss's office. Now, this short hallway grew longer and longer every single step that I took because my feet felt like they were lead bricks. Every step I took, I felt like the weight of the world was literally on my shoulders because if this is the time that I get laid off, how am I going to feed my family? Like, what am I going to do? And all these years working this for their career, is it going to be taken out from under me? Well, I get past the hallway, I turn, and I see my boss's doors closed to his office, and I see his secretary there. And sheepishly, she looks at me and says, Dustin, would you please have a seat? And I go and sit down, and she's grinning at me very, very uh, politely, super nice lady. And she's trying to console me with her eyes because she knows everything that's going on. I know nothing about what's going on. So I sit down in, my, in that chair, and I start thinking about my four kids. Well, if I lose my job, Am I going to be able to provide a roof over our heads, food on our table? Well, what does that make me as a father? Does that make me a failure as a father, a failure as a husband, as a man providing for his family? Well, as I'm sitting there, my hands get all clammy. My forehead gets all sweaty because the weight of everything is just piling on me. And then the door to my boss's office opens up and out walks a coworker, a lady, and she walks past me and you can tell everything has changed for her. Like she's not necessarily crying, but she is definitely distraught, definitely upset, not necessarily crying, but her world has been rocked. And so my boss says, Dustin, would you please come in the office? So I get up and I go in the boss's office and I get laid off. And remember, this is the government. Nobody gets fired or laid off for the government. But if I did, everybody has the potential of getting laid off. So I'll round up the story by sharing. I went back to my desk 
And I sat down on my desk realizing I like the world's going to change for me right now. And I realized two things sitting right then and there, Jeff. Number one, I need to get another job. I need to make sure I can provide for my family and you know, food and roof overheads and everything. And I was really blessed to find another department in the same county that had money and I was able to transfer over there. Didn't even get laid off. So that was a huge blessing. Praise the Lord. The next thing that I realized, the second thing, this is something I want everybody either watching or listening to this, is that I needed to make sure that I never let this happen to me again, where nobody would have the ability to really just take the ability for me to feed my family out from under me. And so I said, from that point forward, if anybody would ever ask me a question, Dustin, what is it that you do? Normally, I would say, well, I work for the county. I do IT work. No longer would I ever say that. I now, because I knew I wanted to do this, but this was the catalyst that got me doing it. I said, from now on, I will literally tell every single person, I am an investor. Even though I have a full-time job that so happens that 100% of my money comes from this full-time job, that's now my part-time job. I am a full-time investor. Now, round out the story by saying this, started working this new department, bought property after property after property after 30 plus properties, making me a minimum of $250 a month in passive income. I was able to quit my job. And remember that story where I told you I was walking down the hallway, the hallway got longer. It was a short hallway, but it got longer and longer. The last walk that I took from my job, I walked to my boss's office, my new boss, great business, great job and everything. I said, boss, here's your two weeks notice. I'm quitting. And he says, Dustin, what are you going to do? And I said, nothing. I don't need to do anything. I have real estate. And to round out the story by sharing, I walked home, sorry, walked to my car. So downtown Fresno, I didn't want to pay for parking. It was a mile and a half walk. I've done it a thousand times. I walked to my car and I felt in that mile and a half walk, this was the best walk of my life. I felt like I was walking on clouds because at 37 years old, I said, I am never going to work for anybody else again. And they will never have that power over me. So everybody listening to this, you need to realize your value is not in your job. It's in you. And realize this, your boss is only paying you just enough to keep you working without quitting, but not so much that takes money off of their table or takes money out of their pocket. So you can make so much more money and not depend on anybody else. And so I know you probably got lots of questions and want to move on, but yeah, I wanted to share that story because that's how it got me to where I said, you know what, I'm going to do this and 30 plus properties later, 37 years old, I'm done. I can walk out. So at that point, you know, so you, you made it to that point and, and, and I, don't, I don't know if you mentioned it, but if you did, let's, let's say it again. What was the tipping point? So for this, this is less for the real estate agent, more for the just average Joe or, you know, Sally, who's working a normal job. What was the tipping point? How many properties or how much uh, passive income or how much, you know, ROI did you need to have to get to that point where you could say, and I know it's going to be different for everybody. What was it for you? That's, that's a fantastic question. Now, also, this does apply, in my opinion, to um, realtors as well. And the big reason why, if you remember back in 2008, there were no houses being sold. Like, everything just stopped. And a lot of realtors had a bad, bad time. A lot of investors had a bad, bad time. And I'll, also, your, your first question, I def, I'm chopping the bit to get to that because I'll definitely share that yeah. to you. But realtors, people working a job, it you need to make sure that you have your expenses covered. That's why we talk about um, at Master Passive Income is we talk about how we can replace our, ex, our, our income and also pay for every single bit of our expenses without working for somebody else. I'll give you an example. If you buy one property, and this is where I teach all my courses and my coaching students and everything, you buy one property, 
that makes you $250 a month at the minimum. And remember, this is the minimum. I have some properties making five, six, seven, $800 a month. I started investing back in 2006, bought property after property after property, eventually had 30 properties, but one so house- Buy, buy making, and hold, by the way, correct? Buy and correct. hold. Correct. I buy and hold. I literally am going to create, gener am creating generational wealth. Like if you're watching this on, on uh, YouTube, you can see my kids in my background. Four kids, I'm literally giving these, these to my kids it's just generational wealth and credit. So one property, buy and hold, $250 a month at the minimum. That's $3,000 a year without doing anything. This is passive income. If you had 10 properties, it's just math. 10 properties making $250 a month. That's $2,500 a month in passive income. $30,000 a year in passive income. 20 properties, $5,000 a month in passive income, $60,000 a year. I guarantee you, if you just keep scaling that, eventually you're gonna hit that number where, hey, my expenses are, like my, personally, my expenses were $4,200. Talk to my wife, we budget everything out. Plus I wanted to make sure it was above that too, can I save more more investing? I got to, I think it was like 19 or 20 properties, then I was able to quit. I had enough money coming in. So that's just scaling the business. And I'll definitely pause right there because the biggest thing to answer, to quickly answer your very first question, what makes me different how I do this is we build the business first. And so I'll let you ask questions because, but we're jumping to the building the business first. Okay. Well, that's a good, that's a good segue because uh, my next question was going to be the obvious. Um, and again, remember we're talking to real estate agents and, and I, and I don't want to take this for granted because, you know, there's a lot of realtors that are, 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 are very savvy and this is like, okay, yeah, duh. Right. I know all this stuff, but but there's probably far more that this should be done. And they think it's done, but it's not really done. And I would I would ask this question to the audience right now. How many investment properties do you own? And if you're sitting there right now in your car on the treadmill or on your walk and you're like, huh, yeah, none or two. And I've been in the business for 10 years. You know, that's the one that I'm talking to and I'm questioning at this point, because I think, I think you would be questioning to say, what the hell are you doing? Right? Cause you have so much opportunity. Let me get back to the question. So the first question I have is this, what, you know, you're coming from a normal job. And, and I think we're talking to a lot of real estate agents here who are probably making normal wages, maybe even less. Um, and maybe they have a spouse who makes a normal wage, how did you first enter in to buying the property? And I know general answer is what people say, but I'd like to know what your answer is. How did you get in? How did you afford a down payment? How, how did you go around, how, go about scaling and, and, and building up enough reserves consistently to be able to put down payments down and things like that? So I started investing in 2006. My wife and I, I'll give you the quick general broad overview of how we first got started. So I got married and my, I wasn't taught to save money. I was taught not to go in debt, which was great, but I didn't have any money in savings. When my wife and I got married, she had like, I don't know, 13 or $14,000 in savings. So I took every bit of that. This was like six months after we got married. I said, honey, you know all that money that you had? <laughs> I want to take that and buy real estate. I've never done it before. I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to do that. She was very hesitant. I could tell you all that's how I got her over the hurdle to do it. But anyways, um, that's a whole nother story. So I took all that money and I went, I was, so I was in California when I first started investing. And in 2006, I realized, oh my goodness, I could not get passive income if I bought a house at this price range right now and make passive income in rent. So I had to go out of state. I literally just flew to Ohio out of all places. I said, ah, you know, spin a map and, or, you know, a globe and put my finger on Ohio, flew to, flew to Ohio. 
found a realtor and found a property manager. And I'll pause this by saying most people think the only way to invest, not only, but a, a good way to invest is find a realtor and find a mortgage broker and you put them together and then you buy a property. That's one of like dozens, if not dozens and dozens of ways to find money, to find properties, all that sort of stuff. So I flew to Ohio. I took that money, found one property first. And in fact, this one property, it's the only property I have ever seen before I bought it. And I have 30 plus properties, literally all of them. I just, I don't even see them. I don't even want to go to the States that I invest in. I was like, I don't care. So got a mortgage broker, got a uh, property manager and got a realtor. Now the bad thing that I did was I bought the first property that, which wasn't bad. But I selected the first property manager that had a pulse and said, yes, I'm a property manager. I didn't know what I was doing. Like, okay, I'll go ahead and trust you. Within six months, and this is the wrong way, within six months, she started stealing from me because she, I didn't do a good job of building the business first. So for me, from that point forward, let's pause that idea of anything bad. I'll tell you what the good things happen. From that property, I fired it quickly, found somebody else, another property manager that's actually very successful, still work with them today, still a great property manager. But then I refinanced, pull that cash out, and then bought another property, then refinanced that property, pulled that cash out and bought two more properties. And then I did that over and over again, refinanced my home, pulled that cash out of my home. I've even, and this is an advanced strategy, I've even bought houses with credit cards. I kid you not credit cards, but because I know my business, I know how to make passive income. I know how to account for my expenses. Remember, we build the business first and I can explain how, what that means, but we build the business first so I know what my expenses are before I buy the property. So here's a quickly understanding of knowing your expenses, taxes, mortgages, property manager fees, um, uh, repairs, vacancy factor, all those. We add all of those up. That's your expenses. And it's a business. So we figure out what, how much money can we make it? What's our profit? We figure out how much we can rent it for. So if we buy it and we could, expenses are $1,000, then we could rent it for $1,300. Well, that difference is $300 a month in passive income. So from there, I just kept buying property after property because I made passive income. I made sure the mortgage was paid for and everything else was paid for. And I just kept scaling the business over and then saving every bit of money to buy that next property. Wow. So let's rewind back to the first one. Okay. And then, and then these refinances, because as it, most of us know to refinance an investment property, the max LTV you're getting is maybe 75%, 75%. and at cash out it, in some cases it might even be lower than that. Uh, so I assume you were going to 75%. How in the hell did you get to 25% equity position? And no, actually you had to be more than 25% equity position. Cause it wasn't just a cash out. It was, a, it wasn't just a refi. It was a cash out refi. So yep. you, did you just get lucky? You bought right. I mean, what, what, what would you say happened there? So I'm an investor and realtors don't, Oh, let's say, how would I say this? Investor realtors love me because I buy a lot of houses through them. Regular realtors that just, you know, go and find houses for somebody to live in. They don't like me. And the reason why is I make money six different ways when I invest in real estate. One, passive income. We already talked about that. Another one, market appreciation. We just know a market goes up. Forced appreciation. I fix it up to make it worth more. Tax benefits like depreciation. Eh, pausing that. If you don't have depreciation and you're making a lot of money, Stop what you're doing, buy a house, get depreciation. You're going to save so much. Depreciation is amazing. Next one, mortgage buy down. I buy a house. Tenants literally pay the principal and interest, taxes and everything. So they pay off the house. But here's, a, here's one that I do as an investor. Because like I said, I'm an investor. I get equity capture. I put in lots and lots of offers. I'm not turning somebody's arm to make them take my offer. I'm putting in offers. If somebody wants to take it, I can help them out. 
then they're going to buy, or I'm going to buy it from them. But the biggest thing is I'm going to be putting in lots of offers because I don't know, you know, if somebody, if I'm going to buy a house for $150,000 and there are still houses for sale for $150,000, even less than that, like in the Midwest, great properties. If they're asking 150 and that's the market value, I calculate, remember, this is a business. I calculate how much my expenses should be so I can make passive income a minimum of $250. And then I adjust my purchase price to get that passive income up. So if I, if the, let's round numbers, let's say the rent is $1,300, but I need to get my expenses down to, you know, 10,000 or say 1,050. I adjust my purchase price down and that's what I put my offer in. And then I capture that equity. So a lot of times the value, cause the rents are lower. I put the offer in lower. I capture equity there. Then I could refinance after a year or six months is the minimum seizing period. Then a year and, you know, obviously it goes up, but that's how I do it. Got it. So is there any secret formula that, that you're looking for in these properties when it comes to, you know, a, the area that they're in, because clearly you're buying them all over the country for one. So that's pretty loose, obviously. What is your strategy there? And then what is your strategy as it relates to, you know, again, like, like the, the, the niche down the specific area in the town or, or the city, you know, does it matter if it's, if it's a beat up part of town versus, you know, a little bit higher end, is there a certain rent price point you're looking for a certain renter criteria that you're looking for? How, how do you establish all of this stuff? So, so those are all great questions and I'll answer it by saying this, we build the business first. And I'll give you an example of what that actually means. So this will be, you know, really hammering down your first question. Um, what makes me different? So number one, we build the business first. And what that looks like, I'll give you an example. If you're going to start a convenience store, you know, everybody knows what a convenience store is, candy bars and sodas and all that sort of stuff. If you're going to start a convenience store, you're not going to lease a space, open the doors and put a box of candy bars in there. If you did that, you'd be out of business in like two seconds. No, what you would do is you would build the business first. You get the gondolas. Those are the shelving units that the candy bars sit on, countertops, cold storage, fountain machines, bank accounts, cash registers, employees. You'll get all of that built out before you buy any inventory. From that point, then you buy inventory and you put it into the business once the entire business is built. Same thing with rental property investing. With real estate investing, we build the business. And a lot of people who coach you how or teach you how to do this, or you probably hear how to do this, they'll say, okay, how you invest in real estate? You find a house, you run the numbers, you make sure that you're gonna make 50 to $100 a month, and then you find somebody to fix it up. Then you find somebody to rent it. Then you find a property manager to manage the property. Well, in my opinion, that's literally backwards. And what we do is we build the business first by making sure that we have experts literally on the ground that are gonna tell us this is a good area. This is a bad area. This is a good property. This is a bad property. This is how much you could rent it for. This is the type of tenants you can buy or uh, get. All these other questions are answered by the experts because Zillow, Redfin, Realtor.com, those are not experts. Those are databases. Those are companies trying to make money. Experts are the ones literally there on the ground. So to help you to understand, to answer your question about types of properties, areas, all that sort of stuff, after we built the business, realtors, property managers, contractors, wholesalers, roofers, inspectors, insurance agents, like literally everybody. We do that before we buy any properties. Once we have this entire business built, every piece of property you buy is another piece of inventory that we put into our business. A lot of people tell you your property is your business. No, no, no. If you do that, you're going to lose money. You're, gonna do, you're not going to do very well. What you want to do is you want to build a business first. Every piece of property that you buy gets put into your business 
That's how you scale the business. Now, to ask your question about areas of the country, areas of the, each specific city, because we, my students and I, we literally invest all over the country. We don't care where we invest. In fact, some people might say, well, you know, it's a D area. Well, yeah, it might be hard to rent, but do you have anybody there that can manage the property? And do people actually live there? I personally have grown away from D areas. That's where I first got started was in D areas. Now, How do you, how do you define that grade? I don't define it. My realtors define it and my property managers define it. Got it. Remember, we have it, the experts who are literally on the ground. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to a realtor, hopefully an investor realtor that understands this type of business model. And I, I guarantee you, if you are a realtor and you want to actually have investors, if you learn this stuff, you're going to have investors buy so many properties from you because I literally just wait for a realtor to send me a property because they don't understand what it looks like to be an investor. And so the ones that are investor style realtors that understand this, I buy lots of properties from them. My students buy lots of properties from them because they bring us the right properties. They're not going to say, hey, look at these curtains. Look at these drapes. These are great. Like, we don't care about that stuff. They're going to be gone. So what we do is we count on experts in the area that tell us how much we could rent it for, what type of property it's going to be, what type of tenants, what's the vacancy factor, how much, like basically everything. And what it's going to look like is going to your realtor. They're going to say, here's the property. They're going to bring it to me say, hey, Dustin, or even a wholesaler. I love wholesalers. They're fantastic too. I know realtors is kind of, they probably don't like them very much, but I, I buy from anybody. If you bring it to me, I'll buy it from you. So the realtors are going to tell us, here's how much it's worth. You hope you might be able to get it for lower. And I'll obviously run my own numbers. This is how much you could potentially rent it for. Then I don't take that word. I don't take the realtor's word for it. I go to the person that's actually going to be managing the property, say property manager. Here's a property I've got from somebody from a realtor. How much can I rent it for? Is this a good area? Will you even manage the property? Because I've had to actually help coach a lot of people. And I've even bought a lot of properties off of people who do this wrong. They do it the wrong way. Remember, like I said, they find an area, they find a property, run the numbers, then find somebody to fix up, spend thousands and thousands of dollars. And then after everything's done, let me try to find a property manager. Then they start calling property managers. Oh man, I can't find one. Nobody's calling me back. And nobody actually wants to manage this area because it's a bad area. Oh my goodness, that's a bad thing. What we want to do is we want to have the property managers. They're literally going to be the ones saying, Dustin, okay, look at this property, this area. This is a bad area. I will not manage that property. I'm like, well, shoot. I'm glad I didn't buy that property before I actually talked to you. I'm glad I talked to you. Now I'm not, that's off my list. Property manager. Now, where should I invest? Okay, see the zip code, see this area, the city, whatever it might be. This is a really good area. In fact, the prop, and here's the great thing about property managers. You're going to say, how much can I rent this property for? It's in the area that they like. How much can I rent this property for? Oh, shoot. That's a three bedroom, two bath. I have one literally a block away. It's renting for $1,300. You can most likely get it for thirteen. We couldn't get $1,350. We tried, but we couldn't. It's down to $1,300. Anyways, we have the experts who are literally on the ground making sure we do every bit of this business every single step away as best as we can. I love it. And can I tease you for a minute? Just because I know our audience is probably some people are uh, eating this up. Um, Please do. It, it's a common, it's a common correction in lab code agents is the, uh, when you say realtor, you're saying realtor, um, you're adding, an, <laughs> you're adding an a, it's like, it's like, it's like one of those things that it just really pisses realtors off for some reason. Um, so yeah, I'm you're sure not some, the first person to correct me. It's, so, maybe like a year ago, I got that. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure need somebody's that. listening right now saying, thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so realtor. 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 There's no A. It. Yeah, it's like, it's not, <laughs> this, this is always a post in lab collisions every once in a while. It's not real a tour. 
it's realtor uh, or, or <laughs> easier is just to say real estate agent. Cause actually I, I don't mind being corrected at all. So I, well, I'll it, do my best uh, to each their change. own, man. We all have different, we all <laughs> pronounce things different ways, but you know, for whatever reason, some real realtors get that a crop their ass about that. <laughs> um, okay. It. So let me ask you this. Obviously you've, 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 un, you've thrown a lot at us. There's a lot to unpack uh, in a short amount of time. So I, I'm going to ask you this. If, if I'm the realtor who is, who's brand new to this uh, investing and it's like, yeah, I know I should be doing it. And this podcast, this guy, this high energy, Dustin, he's going to be pushing me over the edge. What's the single most important thing that I need to focus on first? Like if there was a checklist, what's at the top of the checklist of what I need to do first before I go into buying a property? So obviously, I mean, there's, there's going to be, and I'm, this is not on the checklist, or sorry, this is not the top, but you're going to have to have your finances in order. You're going to have to be able to get a mortgage, things like that. Those are things that you're going to have to do. But the top thing, if I'm going to tell you anything that you're going to do is get a property manager and interview them heavily. Before, I before the realtor, before realtor? A hundred percent. Oh yes. Well, sorry. Uh, I do get a lot of students come to me and say, I say, hey, how's it going building your business in this new city? Oh, it's great. I have three realtors looking, realtors, realtors looking for properties for me. They're already sending me properties. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you have a property manager? Oh, no, I'm going to get to that. Well, stop everything with the realtors. You do not even look at properties until you have a property manager. And so, Jeff, I'll tell you this. So I also have my YouTube channel where it's literally my podcast, Master Passive Income, and also YouTube. I literally just teach this real estate investing. That's literally all I do. It's just content on how to do this. And I make videos on how to find property managers, how to manage them, how to do it well. That is the worst watched, least viewed videos. The other ones on like finding leads, getting financing, those are just skyrocketing as far as views. People do not watch the videos on how to properly have a good property manager. If you don't have a property manager that's actually going to manage your property, you don't have a, a, a business. You don't have anything. Your property is going to be losing you money. So here's the biggest thing. Hire the right property manager. In my business, I hire slow, but I fire fast. As soon as that property manager was stealing from me, my very first one, I fired them fast. As soon as I realized, okay, boom, you're gone, found somebody. But I also hire slow. I interview. And so with that, the number one thing is your property manager. That's like if you have a football team, you're not going to go and pick your quarterback last. No, you're going to pick them by almost their first uh, player on your team because they're going to want to make you score. Same thing with your property manager. I'll be completely honest. For all realtors out there, did I say that? Realtors? I did. Is that right? Okay. With all realtors out there, I don't sign any exclusive deals. In fact, I get really irritated when realtors say, hey, sign this exclusive deal. Will you buy properties through me? I'm like, how about you sign an exclusive deal through me that you could only sell to me? Would you do that? No, you absolutely would not. Just like I'm not going to sign to you because if what I have realtors all over the place finding me properties, I have wholesalers, I have investors, I even have title companies sending me properties, property managers. I, I find properties everywhere. So if you bring me a good deal, just like all my students and every investor, I'm going to buy it through you. I'm not going to, you know, uh, be lack integrity and not and like go around your back. No, you bring it to me. It's a good deal. I'm going to buy it through you. So Property manager by far is 100%. If you don't have a good property manager, you don't have a business. Off topic, what is the most, what is the biggest or best objection that you've gotten? This is totally off topic to that question of I'm not going to hire. In other words, when they say sign a, an exclusive with me, would you sign it? What, what is the best, what is the best objection you've got to that? 
So I, I'll be completely honest. I have not actually said that back to him. Usually I'm just really polite and say, well, no, I don't sign exclusive deals. You bring me a property. So I've literally never, but that's my, my thought. In fact, when I'm teaching my students, I tell them like, if they're asking you that, it's like you asking them the same thing. So, but I, yeah, that's a good, a good question, but I've never actually done that back to people. Nobody's successfully overcome that objection is what you're saying. That's, <laughs> exactly. That's a, there's exactly. a challenge. There's a challenge for all of you to, to, to try to overcome that one. Okay. That's so, so challenge. I like that. I really like that. That's the piece that you gave, because I think that is unique. Um, I think a lot of people probably think, and, and obviously first things first, get your finances in order. That's like, that's like a loan officer saying my value proposition is I meet closing dates and commitment dates. It's like, no, that's not value. That's your job. And if you're going to exactly. buy investment properties, <laughs> the checklist does not include qualifying. That's like, you have to, that that's before the given. checklist, right? hundred percent. Yep. Um, so I love that. And I think as, as we're talking, keeping in mind that we're talking to a real estate audience and most of them, it's easy for them to find realtors and other markets because a lot of you work at big box brokerages and you can just reach out to somebody in that market and get connected. It's easy, right? Uh, but when it comes to property managers, that's different. So as it pertains to that, is there any specific specifications that you're looking for or experience that you're looking for in that property manager that you get the tip that you give our audience that, Hey, this is what I need to be looking for in that. So they don't make the same mistake that you made. That is honestly like, it's not, I'm not just saying this, but I will say it. That's a fantastic question. I like most people say, Oh, that's a good question. Just to kind of segue in Jeff. That's a brilliant question. And the reason why is because you're going to find, well, I'll pause this. Yesterday I had a coaching call, one-on-one -on -one coaching call with one of my students. I said, Hey, how's it going? Finding a property manager in this new area. I'm not going to say which city it is, but it's a whole different state than he lives in, in this new city. He said, he told me, Dustin, I've called 11 property managers. Guess how many called me back? three, just three called me back. And I said, wow, good thing you don't have a property yet because you would definitely be out of luck. So what's going to happen is as you're calling up property managers, now some property managers might be busy and they have many properties and they don't want to call you back. They don't want to take anybody on understandable, but I found in general property managers are, and if you're a property manager, I'm going to hurt your feelings are the most flaky unless you get a good property manager. And the only way you're going to get a good property manager is by interviewing them multiple times, not just one phone call, definitely not a text or an email. That's not interviewing. We interview our property managers at least three times. Now, obviously the duration gets shorter and shorter over time, but we call them on the phone. We talk to them, make sure that they have experience, that they know what they're talking about. I literally give all my students 22 questions that they must ask their property managers and the answers to what the questions are. But here are the basic things that I look for. You might be a little different, but what I look for, obviously trustworthiness. We want to make sure that when we're talking on the phone, our like inter, like our, our sense of judgment on character is not ringing. Oh my goodness. Watch out for this guy. <laughs> you don't want that. But let's say this person is, it's sounding genuine. Okay. I like, like, it feels like I could trust this person. And then over the three different you know times you're interviewing them, each time it's re, re, uh, re-solidified. Boom. This person seems to be trustworthy. That's one. Number two for me, huge, huge, huge is communication. Trustworthiness is first. Second is communication. If I don't talk to my, well, let me say, it. if I call my property manager and say, hey, what's going on with this property? And they don't call me back for like a week, I am pulling my hair out because this is my money. This is my livelihood. This is how I feed my family. I need them to call me back within 24 hours, minimum, 
is 24 hours. And if it's over 24 hours, like, hey, what's going on? 24 hours is plenty of time to have you contact me back. So first one is trustworthiness. Second one is communication. Oh, also, give me a quick tip. If you're going to be interviewing somebody, a, a property manager, and they don't call you back for three or four days, and you're interviewing them for business, if they do this before they even have your business, imagine if they had your money and they're like, oh, this guy again, I already have his money. I'm not going to call him back. And they keep putting you off. You want to, before you actually hire, bring somebody in as a property manager, ask them questions, interview them. So number one, trustworthiness. Number two, communication. That's huge for me. Number three is experience. Another one is experience. And do they answer my questions well? Because these questions that I put together for all my students, like literally, these are investor grade questions. A regular, you know, mom and pop, somebody that's just, I'm just going to buy a house and rent it out. They're not going to know these questions. These are questions that actual property managers must know. If they run their business, they have to know these questions. So do they have the experience and can express that in these answering of these questions? Another thing that I always do. Let me ask you this. How are you identifying that experience? Is it just, you know, is it simply time in the business? What is it that you're looking for? What answers are you looking for? So let me give you an example of one, one question. Say, so you tell your, ask your property manager, the person you're interviewing for the property manager, give me a time where you had an irate tenant and they were really, really upset. Say the plumbing went or there was some problem with the property. They were really irate. How did you handle that? They're going to answer, oh, I've never had that. And that's obviously a clue. But at the same time, it also gives you understanding if they do answer it, how they actually treat their tenants what they do, how they treat their landlords. They're, so I am their customer. A property manager's customer is the landlord. The product is the property and the tenant is just paying for that. Their customer is not the tenant. I am their tenant. So they're looking to benefit me. So what I do is I ask questions. That's one. Another one, quick and easy one, like what are your fees? You know, if somebody says, well, you know, even if it's not rented, I'm still going to charge you $50 a month. I'm like property manager, like, your job is to make me money. If you're, if it's not making money, I'm not paying you money. Can you strike that out? They say, no. All right. Property manager, I'm moving on. Like you just, it's not going to work out for me. So that's as far as experience, we ask questions that lead into helping them to answer in a way that we want to hear their prior experience. Love it. So trustworthiness, communication, experience. I want to ask you another uh, question that you didn't expect, and we'll see how you answer this. Uh, but I think our audience would like to know this. Right now, as it stands in, in, at the end of 2021, what are, would you say, are the three best markets to invest in right now? Ooh, so different types. I'll, I'll give you the broad overview of the type of properties that I'm looking for and looking for those markets. So remember, I don't invest for appreciation. In fact, appreciation is great, but remember, I'm giving these to my kids. If they go, if it, it will automatically go up just over time. So I invest only for passive income. That's the only thing I care about. In fact, that's how I started back in 2006 buying properties. Year after year, bought more and more properties. I, did, I made money where the market went up, down, or sideways because I invested for passive income. So for me, the type of houses I look for, three-bedroom, two-bathroom, 1,200 to 1,500 square feet. And I look for 50, sorry, $150,000 and below, which there are, you might, some people live on the coast might be, wow, really? How do you find the Midwest is fantastic. So I'm leading into exactly the cities. 
So the Midwest is fantastic. And I'm also looking for, like I said, $150,000 and below, but I'm looking for the passive income of $250 at the minimum and up. So from there, with all that understanding of what I'm looking for, I love the Midwest. Right now, Indianapolis, Indiana is a really, really good area. A lot of people are, uh, a lot of renters there, but there's also a lot of investors right now. Another one is Memphis, Tennessee. Really fantastic. I'll give you a quick note about Memphis, Tennessee. I have one student started working with him one-on-one coaching in December of 2019. So like three months before COVID shut everything down. He started working with me. I started coaching him in December, 2019. From that point to now, actually it was like in July, he bought eight, sorry, in 18 months, he bought 11 duplexes, 22 units, making him at least six to $7,000 a month in passive income. This was through COVID and through all that sort of stuff. And he's investing in Memphis. So Memphis is a really, really good area. And so I'd say probably one other one would probably be like, oh my goodness, it's literally, it's, it's in Georgia. I can't remember the name. I just worked at, looked at it with another student. I can't remember. Sorry not, about that. But Atlanta, you, you, of course. No, 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 definitely not Atlanta. It might even be in Alabama. It's one of the two. It's, it's on the tip of my brain. I'm sorry. I can't. It's, okay. Hopefully it'll come to me. Okay. <laughs> it'll come to me. But the Midwest is fantastic. Getting into the Carolinas and getting to the East, like in Florida, tenants are buying, or sorry, landlords are buying properties like Jacksonville has been pretty good for a lot of my students. Sounds too. like, sounds like the Sun Belt a little bit you're talking about as well. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. Cool. Good to know. Birmingham. Okay. Birmingham. There you go. That's what it oh, was. Alabama. Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Awesome. That, you know what, that's a, that's probably a diamond in the rough there. I like that. I'm going to try to spell it. Birmingham, Alabama. You guys heard that. Birmingham. <laughs> I thought you would have, you might have, Indy's pretty popular. Memphis is a little bit more unique. Uh, you know, St. Louis, uh, Kansas City, uh, yeah. you know, Omaha. Those are good places. You're really anywhere mm-hmm. in the middle. You're right. The Midwest in general, anywhere in Ohio, maybe. Um, yeah. That's good. Ohio's good too. I have lots of properties in Ohio. And so the properties that I bought in 2006, 2007, 2008, you know, during the crash and definitely bought as many properties as I could after the crash, like 2009, 2010, I wish I had more money. I would have bought so many more properties, but I was doing the best I could. But those houses that I bought um, even before the crash, they're double, if not triple what they were back then. So value wise, like I said, I don't care, but Hey, it's up here. I have that much more equity. I can pull out to buy more properties. Love it. That's awesome. All right. Uh, I know you have something free to offer to our audience, but before you do that, before we throw that out there, I want you to give our audience, you know, one last piece of, of uh, just a a nugget, you know, a closing, what is it that you want to leave with them? So we talked about obviously your strategy in general, and we talked about obviously what is most important in your eyes, which I think is, which is, was fantastic. We talked about your ideal property, talked about what you're looking for in, in passive income uh, at minimum, we talked about the markets amongst many of the things. What did I not ask you, or what is something that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you want to leave our audience with? So, I'll I'll step away from real estate in general and say what I love about real estate is the passive income nature of it. And the reason why I started Master Passive Income and got that name was because I love passive income. And I I thought there are lots of other ways to make passive income, but real estate is literally by far, I found the best. I literally don't work 30 minutes a day. I don't work 30 minutes a week, like that four hour work week. That's for suckers. I work at best 30 minutes a month. Look at my property management state and um, and it looks good and then put it aside. And so passive income 
if I would have started that journey much, much sooner, if I were really, I, I'm literally teaching my kids that now we're playing the game cash flow for kids, you know, from Robert Kiyosaki, they're learning passive income. We just learned to start playing. We were playing it yesterday, but every business that I create from this point forward is literally a passive income style business, affiliates, writing books, like literally everything. If you make your goal to stop working for somebody else and get your income from passive income streams, which there's lots and lots of ways to do it, you in the end are going to compile income stream after income stream after income stream. Now I literally have, I don't know, seven or eight income streams. Now I do have a river of income that's through my real estate. That's literally all the money comes in from all these other streams and they go right back into real estate. That's where all my money goes. And I just keep buying more real estate, but I have loads and loads of streams of income and a river of income. So get passive income. That's my biggest suggestion. I love it. And and I think one of the things that you that you mentioned in the very beginning too, which is when it when it comes to buying these properties is is you know again, real estate agents have access, right? And so first of all, get your get your shit together, right? Get your finances together. Get yourself in a position to where you can qualify to buy. But the most important thing is is, is if you want to follow a strategy like this, you know, first of all, think passive. Don't think flip. Right. Yeah. You know, so get your get your mind right. I hate flipping. I don't want to do that. Yeah. yeah it's too much that's work. the route you want to go. Right. So so go the passive route if that's the way you want to go, and then start start thinking about how you're going to get to the next one. I feel like you're probably always thinking about. You just said it. Right. It's just always going at what's the next one. What's the next one. What's the yep. next one. And and before you know it you've created a, a secondary income because I'm going to say secondary because frankly, I think anybody who's a successful real estate agent, it makes sense to maintain your license because, you know, A, you have access and B, you're probably going to end up meeting a lot of people and gaining real estate transactions as a result of doing this. And so it's just, it's just secondary in my opinion. And, and it can create something that becomes first right down the road and becomes the primary and before you know it now you've just created an ability to retire a hell of a lot earlier just like like you had like you said you work i'm, I'm sure you're off doing other things but like you said when it comes to the, the the this part of your business you're not working very much and that's pretty cool not at all not at all I, and i love so what i've been doing now with my time because i realized i was quitting at 37 years old i'm a obviously you can tell my energy is a little high in general and so i love doing things and so i'm very very active i love building businesses so i have many other businesses that make me money and that's what's when you have so much more time because you're not dumping it into somebody else's business you can do things like create other businesses, play with your kids, take them, you know, coach their little league team, whatever it might be. You just have so much more free time. And so now I literally get a great, you know, podcast and meet great people like you, Jeff, and just literally try to share. And I try to serve more. I'll give you a little quick understanding of what my perspective is. So number one, well, there are four legacies that I believe people try to build. Number one is a money legacy. Try to make enough money so they can have enough money to do whatever they want. Number two is a time legacy. Have enough time to do whatever you want. Number three is a relationship legacy, obviously with your kids and your spouse and your, your everybody around you, a relationship legacy. The fourth one, which is I'm blessed, praise the Lord, to be that this one is a service legacy. I just feel so much better. I do so much more for people. Lives get better when I serve more people. Like my properties, I buy good properties make them really good, charge them decent rent where I'm not, or I, I'm literally below what market rent would be because I want to keep them. I want to give, keep, I want to serve people by giving great properties to live in. Same thing with all my businesses, serving at my church, 
all that sort of stuff, the more people that I serve, especially like being on podcasts like this, like I'm not getting paid by you at all. This is, I literally want to share with everybody that your life can literally change if you get passive income and start investing in real estate. I love it. And you have something for our audience for free. What is that? Yeah, I have my real estate investing course. I literally just want everybody to learn how to do this and see if it's right for you. I, I'll give it to you for free. If you go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course, all one word forward slash free course, I'll give you my real estate investing course. You can even text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. Rental to 33777. I'll give you that free course. It'll literally show you, it'll leave you give a checklist, step-by-step guide, like do X, Y, and Z. Just go through the list. And then I'll even teach you how to, build the business first, how to invest anywhere in the country, how to you know, scale the business to where you're actually making enough money to get rid of your expenses. I'll teach you how to do all that stuff. So you absolutely get for free. I just want you to start learning. Plus I have my podcast, Master Passive Income, also the YouTube channel as well. I just literally give this away for free. So you guys go ahead and get it all. What is your YouTube channel? Master Passive Income. As well. Okay. So the podcast yes. and, the, uh, and the YouTube channel. So again, that was masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, go grab that. Or if you're uh, just slightly lazier and you'd rather text it, text rental, the word rental, just that I assume to 33777. Uh, So go check that out. This is awesome. Dustin, I really appreciate you. Uh, It's good. You know, we like to sprinkle, like I said, there's a lot of these experts out there and a lot of people, there's a lot of opportunity. I think that's what's important to understand here is that there are a lot of experts because there is a lot of opportunity and it's not fluff. It's not BS. Dustin's one of many. He does it slightly differently than other guys do it or other gals do it, but nonetheless successfully. And uh, because you are in fact successfully unemployed. So thanks for being a guest, my friend. Again, guys, go check it out. Masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. Dustin, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate having me on. This episode is brought to you by Street Text, where you can run Facebook ads that actually work. They're ready to go Facebook ads that include landing pages, text message assistance through AI, drip emails, capture forms, and best practices. Join Street Text at streettext.com. Lab Coat Agents Podcasts.